0: Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And guys, we have a great episode for you today. Chris Smith joins the program. Chris Smith is, of course, the all-time leading scorer in UConn men's basketball history. And uh, he joins us today to go back and talk about the very first Big East championship, uh, UConn versus Syracuse in the 1990 Big East tournament final. Uh, This was a great game, a really underrated game if you haven't ever seen it. Um, Of course, you know this was as part of uh, the dream season, uh, which the 1990 season came to be known. And Chris Smith played a huge part in it. you know, originally you know a connecticut native he was like basically yukon's first big recruit so you know basically be able to have him on to talk about his uh how he came to yukon what it was like to be a part of the first big you know stepping stone towards the you know program that we know it today you know chris smith kind of led into Danielle marshall who led into ray allen who led into rip hamilton and you know on and on it goes so um, you know, really really good stuff in the uh, yeah, this uh, 1990 1990 uh, East championship game. Really really awesome. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh all that uh being said, why don't we just uh, get right to it and uh, we will um you know, yeah. Here's uh here's Chris Smith. Let's go. All right. Chris Smith joins the show. Chris, uh thanks so much for coming on. How's it going?
1: It's going great. I mean it's going it's going as good as it can with the COVID.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy couple of months. But, uh, you know, I'm really grateful that you're taking the time. So, um, you know, obviously we, we can kind of get into it in a little bit. But just, you know, first things first, uh, you know, Chris, uh, you know, you're you're one of the one of the more higher profile players we've had on this show so far. You are, for those who don't know, Chris Smith is the all time leading scorer in UConn men's basketball history and was a member of the uh, the dream season. The, uh, you know, Jim Calhoun's um, first Big East championship team. The They won the they made it to the Elite Eight. Um, So you know, Chris. I guess just first things first. You know, I guess you know, big picture. You know, what was it like, man? Just to you know, to be a part of that. You know, such a great season in UConn history.
1: Oh, it was it was incredible. I mean, just the the four years that I had. You got to remember when I first started. I started in the uh, the field house, so we didn't even have Gampel Pavilion. So you know, my sophomore year, we built the Gampel Pavilion. And I think that allowed uh, people willing to see us, I mean, we beat St. John's in our first game, and that was a televised game. And pretty much ever since then, it seemed like it just took took over. And uh, we had a whole bunch of fans from the Connecticut area, New York, New York, New Jersey, and uh, we had a wonderful following.
0: Nice though. Absolutely. So, you know, for this uh, episode, we're, we're going to talk about the Big East championship against Syracuse yeah. specifically, but just to kind of, you know, set the stage you know, I've, I've had a chance to talk to a few other, uh, you know, journalists and, paper, you know, um, former players, and a lot of people have talked about sort of your role in, you know, UConn basketball history and kind of how you were sort of the first big recruit who came to UConn. So just to kind of, you know, f- fill me in, take, take us back to the beginning to when you were first being recruited. And I guess, you know, who else was in the mix, you know, and, and I guess, you know, why did you come to UConn, you know, when you suppose you could have gone to any other number of big time places at the time?
1: And i tell you, that's a funny story because I was very, very close to going to Syracuse. Uh, Billy Owens, which was one of the best players of uh, Syracuse time, was a really good friend of mine. So we used to uh, meet up at Camp's uh, five-star uh, Nike All-American camp. And uh, you know, we just thought to ourselves, wouldn't it be great if we played together? And uh, he was going to uh, Syracuse. And when I visited Syracuse, I I told him, I said, I'm coming. So I came home, and I spoke to my mother, and I said, I think my choice is going to be Syracuse. And she looked at me and said, son, I I would never be able to see you play. You know, Syracuse is so far. And, you know, all my life, my my mother has been my support. Uh, My family, they used to go to all my games, and I said, you know what? UConn is a great school. Uh, Howie Dickerman uh, was a big part of uh, recruiting me. Jim Calhoun, a great coach, uh, recruited me highly and stated that he'd give me the ball and he'd try to get me to the NBA. And with all that that came together along with my family, I decided to go to UConn.
0: That's incredible. So it really was just a, a, a pretty much just came down to the fact that it was close by and, you know, the... Yeah. What was, well, what did, UConn obviously had, you know, it needed something to offer. So what did, what was, uh, you know, Howie Dickerman and, you know, Coach Calhoun, what was their pitch to you? Like, you know, what would, how did they sell you?
1: I spoke to coach when he recruited me. He was like, we're going to give you the ball. You know, this is going to be your team. I feel like you're an NBA player. I think I can take you to the next level. And, you know, those were the keys. And also they had a, they had a player by the name of Clipper Robinson. They won the NIT uh the year before I got there. And just you know, coming on campus and talking the Cliff and Willie McLeod and all those guys uh, you know, they just saw something different as well. And uh I wanted to be a part of that.
0: Nice. Did you have a chance? did you uh did you go to the NIT championship or do you watch it on T V or anything?
1: No, I just watched it on T V. Yeah, I just watched it on TV. Nice, nice.
0: So um, yeah, so well, obviously, you know, it all it all worked out great for you once you got there. Uh, walk me through, we'll say like the first year or so. Uh, your first season on campus, uh, the team uh, was, you know, I think they finished 18 and 13. You guys got back to the NIT. It wasn't quite the breakthrough that came the next year. But you know, it definitely feels like you guys had the makings of what ended up happening the next year. So what was your freshman year like? And I guess kind of the lead into your sophomore year when everything really took off?
1: Well, it was great my freshman year. You know, Coach gave me an opportunity. I played. uh, You know, we had Steve Fico. We had St. George at the point guard spot. Uh, So, uh, you know, I had a chance to play a lot. And, uh, you know, but my freshman year, I got hurt. I think I uh, uh, broke my ankle or sprained it really, really bad. And I missed a couple of games. And then I had to wear a boot so you know my fight was look i'm gonna go out in the summer i'm gonna work hard i'm gonna rehab my body and try to come back my sophomore year and uh do a better job i felt like we had a really good team. we had Lyman the priest uh we were getting scott burrell uh the dub nfl rod seller uh we had a really really good team john gwen who could score you know 15 points in five minutes so lineman the police, was our defenders. So I felt like the next year would be a better team.
0: So when you guys come into the season, I was kind of going back through your record, and it looks like you had a couple of losses early that seemed like they could have been discouraging. You had the season opener against Texas A and M, and I believe your first two Big East games against Villanova and Saint John's. And then after that, it really took off. You guys had a ten game winning streak. You pick up back to back top five wins against Syracuse and Georgetown, and you know those guys are like. The kings of the Big East back in those days, and then you guys open up Campbell Pavilion and you guys beat St. John's at home. So, what was it like that stretch where you start to realize, hey, this this really could be different. Like we're beating the best teams. You know, it's it. You know, this has a chance to be a really special year. What was that like? That whole thing, uh, the lead up to that. Well, how did that feel to be a part of?
1: So that year, we felt like we had a really good defensive team. Uh, Coach Calhoun played a 2-2-1 defense with Scotty Burrell and the Dove bill in the back. Tate George and my up front and Rod Sellers all the way at the end. And we had sides. I'm 6'2", 6'3", Tate, 6'5", 66, I mean, respectively, the Dove and uh, Scotty Burrell, 6'6", 6'7", and Rod, 6'11". So we had a lot of time, so we pressed. And we beat teams with our defense. And with that run, we we built so much confidence. We felt like any team play, we could defend them, and we could score on the fast break. And that 10-game winning streak, that's what we did. We pressed a lot of teams hard and uh, pushed the ball and got a lot of steals and a lot of quick buckets.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, and, you know, this is obviously like – almost a subject of its own episode, but what was that opening night at Gamble Pavilion like, just uh, getting a chance to, you know, go from the field house to, to that whole environment?
1: Oh, it was it was one of the best nights I've ever had. Besides playing at the Madison Square Garden in the Mecca, uh, the Gamble Pavilion was just special. I mean, it was the first night against St. John's. It was a televised game. The crowd was going crazy. Everything. I mean, we couldn't even hear Calhoun in the huddle. You can't hear Calhoun. You know it was loud. So it was really, really loud. It was exciting. We won the game. The place went crazy. And ever since then, it was a husky name.
0: Man, that's incredible. So, yeah, so leading into the Big East tournament, you guys, you know, uh, you guys end up beating Georgetown in the semifinals. You guys get to the finals. and You guys got Syracuse. They, they, I believe, they had beaten you on the road. So you guys kind of have the split the season series at this point. And. As far as, I, I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that at this time, only Syracuse, Georgetown, and St. John's had ever actually won the Big East tournament. So, you know, you guys just being in this position is like pretty remarkable over the uh, the first, whatever it was, 12 years of the Big East. So what was, it? you know, heading into the final, do you remember kind of where you guys were at in terms of being like, man, like this is this is crazy. Like, was there any sense of that or were you just so locked in it never even occurred to you guys?
1: We were pretty locked in and we felt like we could win. You know, we felt like they had pros and we felt like we had pros. You gotta realize Tim Kap, Sherman Douglas, Amy Thompson, Billy Owens, Derek Coleman. I mean all these guys that are doing this rap. But we felt like we had we felt like we had pros as well. With myself, Tate George, uh, you know, uh the Ross Sellers, uh Scotty Morrell. You know, we felt like we were athletic enough to play with this team, and quick enough to play with this team. And uh, eventually, you know, we won the game. But uh, we weren't scared. Uh, we were prepared, and we was ready for that game.
0: Nice, nice. So the Big East Championship. Uh, this was a so I, I had a chance to rewatch this game the other day because I, I was obviously too young to see that game when it happens. Uh, I won't tell you how young. So um just curious. Have you, so obviously you were a part of the game. Have you rewatched this game uh, at all since that you, you uh, played in it or have you seen it recently?
1: I haven't seen it recently, but for a long time, my mother has all my basketball games. Every single game I played at UConn and her favorite games are us against LSU, Shaquille O'Neal and the Syracuse game, the biggest tournament where I won the MVP. So, <laughs> When we had family gatherings, guess what? My mother used to put on the Yukon game. Uh, so we had to watch the Yukon games because she always wanted to, the young kids and the family to see me play. And uh, so I uh, haven't seen it recently, but I'm very familiar with the
0: game. Awesome. Well, we can keep it pretty well, – well, we can just keep it pretty general then. But, you know, I, I have to say it was – I had a blast watching it. You know, I've I've been doing this podcast. I started back in, like, March or April when the pandemic started because I was – Frankly, just so, so depressed that there wouldn't be March Madness, and it's been a blast going back and <laughs> watching these old games. I I love the 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 season's team though, like so. Of course, I you know people my age, so I I'm 30. So, you know, people of my age, we all got to see Kemba, you know, the, you know, my, when I was a kid, like, you know, the people my age would have gotten to see like Khaled and, you know, Rip Hamilton and that those championship teams, but this team, your team was awesome. And like, you guys were really super, super fun to watch too. And like, that's really like one of the things that struck me about this game is frankly, the first like four minutes are kind of a disaster. And then you guys sort of just like shrug (laughs) it off and like, kind of it's like a slow motion avalanche so you know yeah. you know just to kind of fill people in uh Syracuse opens the game on a 10 to nothing run and frankly yeah. you guys look like you're all all out of sorts Calhoun calls yeah. a timeout four minutes in and I assume reads you guys the riot act and you know oh, and yeah. from that point it kind of gets kind of you guys get going but w- what happened early like you know <laughs> what did Calhoun say to you guys in the, in the timeout like you know when you guys fell behind by 10 early Oh, I tell you
1: one thing about Coach Calhoun: winning or losing, you're gonna get it. Even if you're winning, we could be up to 25 points, and if you make one mistake, Calhoun act like we're down 10. So, uh, with us really being down 10 points, uh, you know, he just one thing about Coach: he can get on you, but he can lift you up as well. And uh, the things he said is like, "Look, we, we're here now. You know, take the nerves away. We can play with this team. We have played them before. We've seen them in a the, in the, in the season." Just go out there, play with confidence, and continue to believe in the system. And, uh, you know, Coach wanted us to believe in the system, believe in ourselves. You know, he stated that on his team in the past before. And uh, let's just play hard, believe in ourselves, play our defense. And the game eventually turned around, and we ended up winning.
0: Nice, man. So, yeah. So, you know, after, you know, obviously after the bad start, the next four minutes, it's like kind of more even basketball. Like, you know, you start scoring. They kind of, you know, they, they maintain a lead of like nine, eight, nine points or something like that. And I believe there comes to be a point where they, they take a 25 to 14 lead, and that's when it flips in a big way. But before we kind of get into your big comeback, you know, wanted to talk about, you mentioned Billy Owens. You, know, you guys were close. Uh, you know, Coleman, Thompson, they have all these guys who are super athletic, so, what was the secret to kind of keeping them from just completely running you guys out of the gym, and you know, doing doing what you could to stay in it before you know, you know, while they were had the lead?
1: Well, if you look at the game, we usually played man to man, but if you look at Syracuse for years, thirty years since Bay, you know since Bay I've been there, they played zone. So we played zone as well. We played a zone defense. If you look at that game. So we wanted to really concentrate on stopping Derrick Coleman and stopping the athleticism. And Dan Sarulik and Ross Sellers and Torino Walker just played his butt off that game, uh, rebounding, playing good defense. And uh, that I think that was the key. Our big guys really neutralized their big guys in the middle. And uh, that helped us to win the game.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the zone defense because I did notice that. And it seems that Syracuse was not prepared because they had a ton of turnovers. I, I couldn't get a box score for this game, but I think it was at least 20, maybe even more, uh, just a lot. Um, and that was like you guys were a big pressing team anyway. So kind of the the, the zone plus the the press, um, it was clearly working. Another thing that stuck out is that like you guys got a ton of production off your bench in this game. Um, yeah. Like, in fact, I think from like the first half, I think like two thirds of the points were from, you know, bench guys like, like Walker and, uh, you know, Gwen and some of those guys, what, you know, obviously you guys were a deep team, but you know, what was it like, I guess to have, you know, get sparks from those guys when, you know, like Scott Burrell got in foul trouble, for instance, and, you know, a few Rod Sellers, I don't think he even started because he had some kind of knee injury going on. So what was it like to kind of have those contributions coming when you guys needed a lift?
1: Terina Walker, If he wanted to score 20 points, he could. But he was just such a team guy that he wasn't one of those guys that said, you know, give me the ball, demand the ball. But when Tarana Walker wanted to play, he could rebound. He was was more physical than anybody else in the Big East. And those two guys came into the game and really took over the game. And also, Tate George had an excellent game as well. And with Tate George playing well, uh, you know, a lot of times when he played well, we all played well. He was a, he was our uh, uh, point guard. He was a leader on our team, so uh, all that just came together, and that allowed us to help us to win that game.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, Walker, he's the one who sort of started this big run. He gets a like it was a really sweet inside move. I, somebody got him the ball, and like I honestly don't know how like it wasn't turned over because it like disappeared into a crowd, and suddenly Walker has it under the basket. He does some move, gets a draws the end one. So that cuts the deficit to like 8 points. And then the next thing you know, a few minutes later, now it's a 6-point game. Now it's a 2-point game. Now yeah. it's tied. He Torino, he tied it up uh and then I think he took gave you guys the lead with a couple free throws. And then by halftime, yeah. you guys have flipped it where you end the half on a 38 to 10 run. A 38 yeah. to 10 run over like 10 minutes. <laughs> it was crazy and like the whole time I was like, I don't know, like, you know, a lot of the times when you have these big runs it's just like it's just basket after basket it, it, but it felt like it happened slowly like you guys just kind of kept playing your game and when I did the numbers after I was like oh my god like how they did they scored how many points like what happened here um what did you think about like when this was happening like I'm sure it probably was wasn't something that was on your mind but thinking back like you know do you were you surprised I guess that you were able to flip it that dramatically where you go into halftime? Yeah, especially when it's a team
1: like that with all those pros and all that athleticism coach uh, may And then, you know, usually when you're down against Syracuse, because they play a zone, the zone is, uh, is, is manufactured so that you pass the ball around, so you take time a lot. Luckily, uh, our press really worked well. We sped the game up a little bit. And like you said, we scored 38 points quickly.
0: What do you so you know? What are you guys thinking at halftime? You know, I'm sure you guys have your adjustments that you have to make, and you know, coaches probably telling you what you guys got to do better and what you guys did well. Do you recall kind of what the what was the scene was at halftime?
1: Yeah, I remember. I mean, our concentration was uh, Derek Cole through the whole game, even at halftime. We just felt like he was an all star. He was one of the best players. He was in New York, uh, Madison Square Garden. We felt like he, if anybody's going to win the game is going to be Derek Cole. Yeah, obviously, we had to watch out for Sherman Douglas, but we knew Sherman is a pass-first guard, so he wanted to do the alley-oops. We wanted to stop the fast break because once they start getting going with the alley-oops and dunking and showtime, it's pretty much over. So our concentration was, look, let's press, let's slow the game down, uh, make them pass the ball, and when they get the ball into the paint, we're going to just collapse, especially on Derrick Cole. Let's just make sure he kicks it back out. Because uh, at that time, they really didn't have a lot of guys that really shot the ball from the outside. Everything was always inside the paint, 15 uh, 15 feet or in.
0: No, absolutely. And you know what? That's something that I noticed too. Like when I watch these 90s and, you know, 80s games, like that's just what basketball was. You guys were trying to get as close yeah. to the basket and get a good shot. But what one of the things I appreciate about this team and I, frankly about your game specifically is you guys shot threes too. Like I think you had you had one to pretty close to the end of the first half. You had another one right out of the gate in the the second half. So, you know, was that what, was that like an element of your game that was, or rather, your team's game that you think gave you an advantage? The fact that you guys actually did have something of an outside game to fall back on too.
1: Was something that um, we we did well. A lot of teams didn't shoot the three back, and like you said, everything was inside the paint. So for our team, I mean, we had myself, Scotty Burrell, uh, the Dove hennefeld uh, Danielle Marshall. All these guys could really shoot the ball. We shot the ball well from the outside. But we can rely on Rod Sellers inside the paint as well. And you got to remember, we had Dan Starula. Dan Starula, around the far line, did not miss. You know, he uh, he was a sure shot around the far line. So we had guys that could put the ball in the hole. And that was a part of our game because a lot of teams, even Villanova, they played zone, you know, 1-3-1 zones. Uh, Syracuse played zones. Georgetown played zone a lot. So, you know, uh, back then teams played zones. And that allowed us to score points uh, rapidly.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So you were talking about kind of trying to keep Coleman in check and, you know, kind of keep them from, you know, getting a full head of steam. There were a few points where uh, Syracuse did start to kind of get into their game. Uh, Coleman doesn't, he didn't finish with like, I don't exactly have the number, but his point totals weren't crazy, but he he made an impact, especially in the second half, but that impact wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a game-breaking impact. Like, he got yeah. his points, he made his plays, but it kind of didn't really matter. I mean, once you guys had yeah. the lead, they. I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think you guys ever fell behind, or if you did, it wasn't for long. Yeah. So, yep. you know, what, so what was the key to that? You know, the first 10 minutes of the second half is pretty, you know, pretty even Syracuse makes a couple of runs to keep you guys from pulling too far ahead. And then the, down the stretch, it's close. So, you know, you know, yeah. what was it like, I guess, you know, you, you off falling way behind, then you're trying to keep a 10 point lead. So once it settled yep. into an even game, is there any, I don't know, Was there any change in your, your mindset? Or do you think looking back, do you recall how it may have affected you guys to be like, all right, here we go. So it's, it's anybody's game. Yeah,
1: well, you know, back then, like I said, Calhoun, uh, we, we believed in our defense. We knew we had a great defense. And any team that we played, we felt like that we could win the game. Once we got ahead a of steam, we felt like we weren't going to go back. We played a two, 2-2-1 two, two, zone, and we played a zone defense, uh, and we felt like if we stopped the inside, and I think Stevie Thompson had a pretty good game, uh, Billy Owens had a pretty good game. Stevie was all over the rebounds. But other than that, we kept that lead and we kept pushing. And if we needed points, uh, we, had, we had to equalize it. We had John Gwynn coming off the bench. And if we needed points to get back into the rhythm, John can definitely be that guy to do it
0: yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought him up I was just about to ask so Torino Walker had like this huge uh, impact off the bench in the first half and then Gwynn at this point he has a lot going on he had a, a three and one he ended up missing the free throw but he ends up following that up with a really great drive to draw foul he, he had a, a whole bunch of great plays like that you know he's a guy who you know for, for me as somebody from years later I don't know much about him so what can you tell us about John Gwynn and sort of the kind of player he was
1: Oh, John was, uh, he was our secret sauce. Whenever we felt like we were down and, and, and needed a lift or needed a score, if I wasn't playing well or if Tate wasn't playing well, we always knew we could bring John Gwynn in. We brought John in the game. Number one, he's going to bring that electrifying defense. He's always amped up. He's jumping in one place and uh, he, he's going crazy. He's going crazy on defense because he wants to steal the ball so we can get him the ball on offense. He wanted to score, and we knew that. And once he scored, it got us right back into our rhythm. And uh, he was our secret sauce. And uh, uh, John was just he – played, he played that role excellent.
0: Yeah, abs- man, yeah. I mean, every great team needs guys like that, especially, you know, you never know what kind of situation you'll find yourself in when it's like, you know, eight eight minutes left and who, who the heck knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So here's here's a sequence that I, I loved when I saw this happen. So you guys, with about six minutes left, you guys are up by two. Uh, you guys, I think Calhoun calls a timeout, 65-63. Uh, and then after that, you guys almost continuously possess the ball for something like two minutes straight. Like you guys wow. would run the clock out, put up a shot and then, you know, miss, but get the rebound or something. And that happened like two or three times in a row. And then finally with like, it, it had been a, a really long time. You, you uh, finally hit a jumper or hit a shot or something to uh, put you, you put the, you know, you guys up by four. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, now there's only like three minutes left. Do you, I don't, this is really specific. Do you recall that sequence or what it was, I guess, just being able to uh, possess the ball that long? Because that's not something I can recall happening in any other game I've watched. It's, you know, usually like a minute tops. Because I don't remember
1: holding the ball that long. But I do remember Tarina Walker and, and Rod getting some key rebounds. And, uh, but, you know, that's just the way that the game laid out for us. So, you know, at that time, we got the, we got the play that we needed to get. If we need rebound uh you know torino and uh the dove and, and rob they were at the right place at the right time and uh i think at the end i think tate had a pretty good game once we had the ball to take hands as well we knew he was a capable guard and uh he would make right decisions for us
0: yeah absolutely and uh down the stretch it was also pretty you guys win the game at the free throw line and that was kind of how it went in the end um, you know, you have a, you have a couple of free throws down the stretch and then Tate was the one yeah. who made the last, I think he makes six in a row to finish the game to yeah. kind of ice it. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll start with you specifically, you know, you have, a, you go to the line with under two minutes left and you have a couple of chances to, you know, keep the, keep the lead, you know, obviously yeah. I'm sure in the moment you're just like, you know, whatever you're locked in looking back now, do you recall just like how, how, how. What that moment must have been like hits like hey if I make these shots we're probably going to win the biggest championship like is that ever something you ever think about like man like what that was All
1: the time. yeah definitely especially at the end of the game uh, you know coach either wanted the ball in my hands or take hands because we were pretty good front, free throw shooters uh, but you know you're definitely thinking when you're on the fine line if I make these two this it. Yeah, this game is over because we're going to go back into the zone we're going to make them pass the ball three or four times times clicking on the clock. And next thing you know, we get the rebound and we go do it again. Uh, but like you said, Tate hits six uh, uh, foul shots. And, and uh, we had all the confidence in Tate as far as uh, hitting those free throws.
0: Uh, you know, he's just one of those types of players. He's a big-time player. Now, so I think the last kind of the, the big key other than Tate's uh, free throws, you guys get two key turnovers with under a minute left. And I think the last one was uh, Syracuse's 21st of the game. Um I mean that was kind of it. After that, I mean you know once once Tate hits the his last two free throws, it's a six point game. I mean it's a wrap. You know Syracuse hits a three to end the game, and um, I mean man like you know seventy eight seventy five is the final score, and the most incredible thing happens. UConn the fans storm the court like. You know, I this they did it after the NIT championship too, actually. So, do you, you know, what man, like what was that like? Just you know, you win, and all of a sudden you're getting mobbed by you know, all the UConn fans. Do you do you remember kind of you know what what that was like that that experience to be a part of?
1: It was. It felt like we was at Gamble Pavilion at home. You got to realize Syracuse is from New York, and the fans are pretty much Syracuse uh, fans. So. Uh, but we had a lot of people there that, that were UConn fans. And, and when we won that game, all those UConn fans came on the court. And uh, I can just remember John Gwynn sticking out his tongue and his finger and, and uh, going crazy. And uh, next thing you know, the cutting out the necks. It was just so uh, surreal. Uh, it was just a beautiful moment. Because like I said, um, you know, the, the Madison Square Garden is the mecca of basketball. And to win against a team from New York with all those great players uh, in front of that crowd was just uh, magnifying.
0: Now, if I recall correctly, the last shot of the broadcast is, I I believe it's you on somebody's shoulders, surrounded just by this giant sea of people in the middle of the court. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that like? Well, well, that was unbelievable. Somebody
1: picked me up, put me on his shoulders. I have no idea who it was. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally on top of hundreds of people, probably a hundred people. And, uh, they, they just, uh, you know, uh, walking me around the court, walking me to the net and, uh, just one
0: of the best feelings in the world. And, uh, it was just a great feeling, man. I can't, I can't even imagine that's like, that's literally like, you know, the end of like all those great sports movies. So, you know, this wasn't the end, though. You guys do still have, you know, the whole NCAA tournament run. You guys have the that epic uh, game against Clemson and then, you know, the uh, uh, the unfortunate ending against Duke. So, you know, I mean, just real quick, you know, walk me through that. Just like what was that that whole ride like to, you know, make the elite eight in the NCAA tournament and, you know, have I guess we'll say like the greatest possible, like most epic win and then one of the most painful possible losses. You know, what was what was that like for you?
1: Oh, it was it was crazy because against Clemson, I mean we, they had the two big centers in the middle like uh it, it felt like we were playing Georgetown and big East all over again uh with the, the you know the Kim Bay and Alonso so they had their, they they had their 20 towers as well. So you know that game we were up maybe 19 points, 20 points and uh they came back uh and and took the lead and, and the one thing you know we had a, we had another secret sauce in Scotty morell a lot of people didn't realize that Scotty was a professional baseball player as well. And I was going to say one thing about coach Calhoun, that was a that was an unbelievable move by having Scotty take the ball out because Scotty was a professional baseball player and he threw the ball from one side to the other side to take George, a perfect pass. And uh, you know, that was just they call it the dream season. That was just a dream shot and a dream pass and it was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I, I did an episode with, uh, with uh, Dom Amore from the Hartford Current, and he was talking about how, you know, not only is uh, Scotty Burrell a baseball player, but he was also a quarterback. So it was just like yeah. almost like dropping in a perfect uh, fade to the back of the end zone where only his yeah. guy could get it. And, I mean, Tate, I mean, geez, like that's a, that's not an easy shot. And he shot it over like one of the tallest guys on Clemson's team too. Yeah. So, oh yeah, man, what a, you know. And then obviously we don't have to talk about Duke, but just like, you know, after the season's over, do you recall kind of – once everything's done, just take a step step back and be like, man, like, wow, like that was crazy. Like, you know, what that, you know, did it, did it hit you at first? Like how, how special a season it was, or did you know right away?
1: Oh, we knew, we knew that it was a special season right away, especially when we got back to Campo Pavilion. I mean, the Campo Pavilion was packed. It was unbelievable. The fans came out and it was, it was like, we never lost a game. You know, it was, uh, they were so appreciative of what we'd done in that season and uh, so thankful. And, uh, yeah, the players were definitely upset because we felt like we beat Duke the whole game. And, uh, you know, it came down a couple seconds uh, to lose that game. And you got to realize uh, Tate had the ball, and somehow he didn't squeeze it good enough, and it went out of his hands. It went out of bounds and gave uh, Christian Lehner an opportunity to win that game, which he did. But when we got back to uh, Gamble, you know, we we were it was it was great that the fans came out and gave us that response.
0: Man. Yeah, it's it was it definitely changed everything. That's for sure. And, um, you know, obviously now (sighs) 30 years later, it's like, you know, kind of what it's the season we all kind of look back on is where it all began. So, um, you know, you finished with 20 points in this game. Um, At least uh, Tate George, Gwynn and Walker all finished in double figures, too. Uh, 21 forced turnovers, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, pretty, pretty much exactly what you guys were looking for. Um, you know, so just thinking back, like, you know, when, whenever your mom pulls out this game, is there any part you look forward to, to watching the most?
1: Oh, just, uh, like I said, I watched the whole, pretty much the whole Syracuse game, but, uh, the whole game is exciting. The whole game is exciting, but, uh, towards the end, like you said, uh, like anything, anything end of a movie, end of a, you know, basketball game. The last two, three minutes of the game is usually the best, so, uh, you know, you just put your seatbelt on at the end of the game and, uh, and see how it ends. And
0: uh. Scotty Burrell, we've talked about him a little bit over the last couple of minutes now, so, you know, he, he was just, uh, he, he's been in the, the public consciousness quite a bit more recently. Uh, he was featured in The Last Dance, so I'm just kind of yeah. curious, as one of his, you know, former teammates, what that was like for you to kind of see... We'll say that his interesting relationship with Michael Jordan and uh you know, what was what was that like for you and I guess, you know, just what kind of guy is Scotty and what was it like to play with him at UConn? Oh, Scotty's a
1: great guy. It's great, great guy. He's a gladiator. He's a gladiator. He works hard, he plays hard, he's gonna give you his all. And uh, you know, my first initial thought was, Look, I wish that was that was me over there sitting with Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan is the best player in the planet. I don't care if he's if he's talking to me in a positive manner or a negative manner, I'm going to learn something from it. And uh, when I text uh, Scotty, and that's the approach that he took from me, he was like, look, you know, I'm playing with the best player. I'm going to absorb everything he gives me. And if he wants to get on me, that means he cares about me. He sees something in me. So, uh, you know, watching it, I was like, man, that was just unbelievable uh, that they had that type of relationship.
0: Yeah. Well, that's definitely a good way to look at it because, you know, the other way you could look at it is like, man, Michael Jordan is just crapping on me every day and man, this yeah. is rough, but whatever, you know, he got, got a couple of, uh, you know, NBA championships. So, you know, I'm sure it, sure it worked out nicely. So yeah. after yeah. the, after the 1990 season, you know, you have two more great seasons at UConn, you know, finishes the all time leading scorer. You know, you still have that record to this day. Yeah. You uh, graduated as a top three point shooter, which uh, has been, you know, that's been broken since of course. Um, and then you get drafted uh, in the second round of the 92 draft by the Timberwolves. And, uh, you know, play, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, three seasons in the NBA and then maybe another five or so, you know, elsewhere. So, you know, t- well, let's, let's kind of walk through the, you know, the post dream season, you know, aspect of your career, you know, what was some, some of the highlights that stick out to you and, you know, especially getting a chance to play in the league, you know, what was, what was that like for you?
1: It was pretty much a dream come true. Uh, just hearing my name being called in the NBA. And when I got to the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, you know people got to realize i played a shooting guard at six two so when i got to the nba i was you know pretty much forced to play the point guard so you know i had a great group of coaches that understood that you know my mentality was to score (laughs) you know and when you get to the nba you know sometimes your role has to change uh, you know, we had guys like Chuck Pershing, uh, J.R. Ryder, you know, guys that could really fill it up as well. And so my role changed from really a scoring guard to really trying to facilitate. And uh, so I had a really great time, three years with them. And uh, in the third year, uh, the lockout happened. So we really didn't get a chance to really talk to the team to try to see if we could renegotiate. So I went to Europe, and uh, uh, when I got to Europe, it was uh, myself, and I don't know if you remember Rolando Blackman from the Knicks and Dallas Mavericks, so we were on the same team. And the third day within I get get there, I tore my Achilles. Mm. So, uh, you know, I spent a couple years uh, in Europe rehabbing and trying to get back into the NBA. uh, Pat Riley called me with uh, Miami. And, uh, 97, I, uh, went to the vet camp and it was a second lockout.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no. So I went
1: back to Europe and played and uh, that's how my season went.
0: No oh, man. So I think you, you ended up playing, I think ultimately until around the year, uh, 2000, I think. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what was I, when did you know, or why, why did you realize, I guess it was time, you know, did you, was there a point you knew it was like, all right, it's, you know, time to move on.
1: Well, I started having kids. And uh, having a family. And once that happened, uh, you know, living in Europe and my family in Dallas, uh, you know, you start looking in the mirror a little bit. So I realized that uh, I needed to be closer to home and uh, it was it was time for me to, to lace it up. And uh, my dream was to make it to the NBA. I did that. And uh, I-, I was like, you know, there's, there's nothing more I can do.
0: No, that's awesome. So, it's been twenty years since. So, what's been li- life like for you ever since? You know, you've been. What have What have you been? Uh, you know, doing for work, or you know, what have your, you know, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, right now, I work for the state of Connecticut. I'm a probation officer. Uh, uh, blessed to uh, be a probation officer and help out in the community. Uh, I have four years left. Four more years, and I retire. I'm done.
0: <laughs> oh man, congratulations! And that's uh, can- that's awesome.
1: Yeah, then I can really get back to uh, hopefully get into coaching uh, on, on pretty much any level. Uh, I'll be retired, so I if it's uh, you know low D one, D two, D three, it doesn't matter. Just hopefully I can get back in front of some kids and give back what I you know what I
0: learned. Nice. So you're in Connecticut, then I presume. Then you probably are able to catch a lot of UConn basketball when you are when you're able then.
1: Yeah, I, I caught a couple of games, uh, but I was I was doing commentating for Sacred Heart University, uh, the, the men's and women's basketball. So whenever I got a chance, uh, I would go to a game, but uh, uh, I was working pretty much a lot of times that were they were playing. But uh, I would tape the game. I would definitely tape
0: the game if they came on TV, if I couldn't make it to the game. Nice, nice. So, you know, I, I just thought of something you told me way back at the beginning. You know, when you were looking to find a place to play, you know, where being able to have your family be close by and watch your games was really important. So UConn for the last several years has been in the American Athletic Conference where that has not really necessarily been the easiest thing for kids on the Northeast to do. Because yeah. so many of their opponents are in Texas or Florida or, you know, yeah. Temple is really the only team that's in actually anywhere nearby. And uh, now, you know, they're back in the Big East, a little bit different conference than when you played, but still you got St. John's, you've still got Villanova, Providence is there, Seton Hall. What do you think, you know, I guess, like, you know, what, what do you think uh, this move is going to do for the program? And, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on it? I guess kind of we'll say where they've been for the last five years versus kind of what they have to look forward to now. Uh,
1: you know, it's done great wonders. Uh, they got a top 20 recruiting class this year. And I, and I really think it's because they're back in the Big East. You know, the Big East is, uh, like you said, it's not what it was when we were there, but it's a great conference. Of, you know, Cooley uh, is doing a really good job at Providence. And, uh, you know, those teams that were really on the bottom when I played uh, are really doing a good job and really, you know, making themselves a really good program. So uh, every team in the Big East right now – it's very it's very competitive. They can play. They're well coached, and uh, you'll get the visibility uh, of TV, and uh, the fans really, pretty much going to almost all the games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's you know it's funny. That one of the reasons I thought of it was just because you talked about how you guys wanted to play locally, and that's like literally like what most of these recruits have said. They're like, yeah, them being in the biggest was a big deal. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. You know, it's definitely kind of fun symmetry there. So, um, yeah. So I guess just like you know, before we wrap this up, you know, you, you know, what what are your thoughts on UConn in general right now? Like, you know, do you have you know any observations or any any thoughts on the state of the program and you know, just uh, I don't know, just your your opinion as you know, one of the you know pro- prominent alumni and former player.
1: Oh, I think sky's the limit for the program. You know, a lot of uh, people predict them to be fifth or sixth or fourth in the Big East. I predict them to be number one. Uh, Villanova has, you know, really taken that realm for years in the Big East. But I really think with the recruits uh, that Hurley brought in and the way he coaches, and uh, I really do think that they can be uh, top one, two, three this year team in the
0: Big East. I sure hope so. I frankly, I just hope we get basketball in general. But with the team they have, I'm so excited. I, I think it has the chance to be a really special year. So you know, you know, uh-huh. yeah, these past couple of months, you know, it's been a weird, you know, it's been weird with the coronavirus. And you know, one thing I noticed with you um, when your social media was brought to my attention, you've, uh, you know, one thing you've been doing a lot of, uh, you you created this T-shirt and uh, wear your mask. And uh, you know, that's been a big thing I've noticed you've been pushing. So can you tell me a little bit about that and sort of, you know, what you've been up to with that and I guess that whole story?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been great. Uh, I've been getting a lot of response with it. And uh, right now I'm working with a company, Haddad, uh, and partners out of Fairfield, And we're looking to really push the T-shirt even more. You know, it's funny how it came about. I was at a store. And most store owners really want you to wear a mask. So this couple came into the store. They didn't have their mask. And, uh, a fight ensued in the store, And I was, the first thing that came to mind was like, you know, instead of, uh, you know, coming out of your mouth saying every time wear, you know, wear a mask, wear a mask, you know, maybe they need to have something visual. Maybe they need to see something visual, like a t-shirt that says, wear your mask.
0: <laughs> it's kind of and, easier uh, to let people know so where you stand that, that way. And,
1: uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was, that was the way that, the way your mask, uh, Came about
0: nice. So, if uh, are you are you still are you guys still still selling them now, or is that uh, have you kind of done your whole your whole um inventory?
1: No, we are we're gonna uh, continue to sell some more. Well, we're putting out uh different versions of William Mask and we're trying to link up with uh a food bank so uh, you know, pro- the, the proceeds could go to the food bank to uh, feed. Uh, feed the hungry
0: and stuff. Awesome. Well that that's great to hear. So if anybody is interested, was uh where where would they be able to, you know, find these online?
1: Well they can email me right now, uh like I said, I'm uh linking up with a company we're gonna try to get our own website. But they, if they want to email me at weigh your mask thirteen uh at gmail.com All
0: right, perfect. They can
1: email me and uh we can uh get them in
0: front of the right people to get their t-shirt perfect awesome well that's great that's great stuff you know you know obviously a great great uh and a great message that frankly a lot of people need to hear and uh you know good to obviously you'll have a chance to kind of support the you know support people who are in need as well um so chris yes. thank you so much for taking the time so you know we just thank kind you. of covered that but uh you know where where can you know do you have anything else you'd like to plug any social media or any uh
1: that's pretty much it i'm, uh, I'm on twitter and um I'm on uh, Instagram as well Now I don't know my Instagram but I'm sure if you put if you put Huskies all the time I think it'll pull up
0: <laughs> perfect <laughs> that is good stuff awesome well Chris thank you so much again I really appreciate your taking the time you know love to have you back on anytime and uh, yeah, yeah you know hopefully let's just all hope that uh, enough people wear their masks that we get to see some Yukon basketball this uh, winter exactly because, you know I've exactly uh, thank you having to miss March Madness was, was terrible so Anyway, uh, for everybody else, thank you all for listening. Uh, You know, we'll be back next week. Um, You all know the drill. You can follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. Email is yesyukonpodcast at gmail.com. And um, yeah, five-star reviews so we can get get all that good uh, Apple Podcasts uh, algorithm stuff. So yeah, anyway, well, thanks so much, everybody. And we will catch you all next week.